Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship. To find info on our speaker and series, please check the podcast description. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! If you're new to Sardis Fellowship, my name is Rod Heppel. I'm the lead pastor here. We've delighted that you've joined us this morning and also those that are watching online. We're in the middle of this sermon series. We're actually not in the middle. We're at the end. Uh, this Today is the last one in a five-part series that we started back on December 31st called Spiritual Health Check. And the idea is it's very practical in nature, this, this series that we've been going through. Um, just like you might go to see your family doctor and have a physical checkup, this is the idea of spiritually checking in to see how we're doing at the beginning of a new year. Um, when you go to see the doctor, they might send you away, uh, get some blood work done, and then come back and take a look at the results. And then you make adjustments depending on what the information is telling you. And so what we've been trying to do is look at some practical areas of our life um, as it relates to me and my God, me and my marriage, me and my Bible, me and my community. Um, it's holistic, right? Like, if we're going to be doing well spiritually, it's going to encompass all of my life, not just one area. Not just, am I spending time alone with God, but how is that then broadening out in my life, in my relationships, in my community, uh, in my time with the Lord? And today, as it relates to my family, me and my family. Now, there's a focus that I have when I say family because everyone has a slightly different context. But what I wanted to do today was to focus on those of you who are parenting, those who have kids that are maybe still in your home, kind of like zero to 18 before they start moving out and going on to college. But I'm hoping that, uh, or whatever they do in life, I'm hoping that it's not restrictive, like even though we're kind of got that as the focus, but there's principles and there's truth and there's values and there's wisdom that you can take and apply more broadly to whatever your family context might be. Someone has said that raising kids is the hardest job in the world. And partly that's why I'm focusing on this element of me and my family is because it's such a huge thing and it's so important. But we know that raising kids is not a job, right? I mean, let's face it, for the amount of time and energy you put into that, you would not get paid enough for raising kids. It's probably more, um, yes, we understand that children are a blessing, but it's more like it's a responsibility and even a calling that we have. Because only a calling from God would merit the investment that you as parents make in the lives of your kids. I read an article this week. It's by a person I don't know. Her name is Annie Renau, or Renew. Uh, she said, five reasons parenting is the world's hardest job and what makes it worthwhile. And then she laid out five things. And with each of the five things, she had another little tagline that went with it. And so number one, the responsibility is immense and the stakes are incredibly high. True. And then she says, yet it's worth it. Um, and yet there's no manual, she also put there. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Wouldn't like your child to come with a manual. How to raise this one. Number two, it's physically and emotionally exhausting, and you don't really get any breaks. Three, if the exhaustion doesn't get you, the worry might. True. Four, you don't get a paycheck. In fact, it actually costs you money. Yet we do our best anyways because of our love for our kids. It's, it's unparalleled, and the rewards are priceless. So I don't know if any of that resonates with you. Um, some of it does with me. And... Uh, and I hope the good parts for you. There's two key words that I want us to focus on today when we're kind of looking at the whole idea of parenting. That's grace and faith. Grace, because I think that so many of us as parents, 
either have felt or presently do feel so much pressure that is put on us. And we need to be reminded of this key word of grace. We often think of modeling grace for our own kids, which is super important, but I think that a lot of us as parents need to hear the message of God's grace for us in our parenting. Because unless we are actually aware of his grace towards me as a parent, you know, realizing my shortcomings and all that, then I'm able to model for my kids what grace looks like. But if I'm just trying to do it for them, I might be putting just one more pressure on myself. The second word is faith. Faith because we live in a time of uncertainty. In fact, anytime you're raising a child at any time in history is an uncertain. There are lots of unknown things about life and as it relates to parenting. We live in a world that has so many messages that can wrongfully influence our kids with values and a direction in life. And so that can cause us to fear. And so I'm kind of contrasting fear and faith this morning, that faith allows us to be the people God wants us to be, and fear is robbing us of that. So picture these two values like a set of glasses you put on, and you see your life and your parenting through that lens of grace and faith in your home, in your life, with your kids. Now, last spring, we actually did a family series. If you were here, you might remember it. Um, Do you remember what I shared then? No, I'm just kidding. I won't do that to you. We did it, it was called Family Matters, play on words, right? Family matters as it's important, family matters as in we have challenges in raising our kids and living life and families in general. And so we talked on one of the talks about having a grace-filled home. And as the case with many messages, it's not necessarily like this is a new idea, I've never heard this before, but it's a refresher, it's a reminder. At the start of 2024, as we come into a new year and we know that we value our families, let's just stop. And let's talk about things that we need to talk about and refresh. And grace is one of those things that we don't want to miss out. What are we aiming at? Um, I think most of us would say that we would like to raise our kids so that they know the Lord and they love the Lord. That one day they would own their own faith in Jesus and walk with him for their entire lives in an obedient relationship to Christ. I think that that would be, as Christian parents, one of our key goals, if not the key goal. Secondly, along with that, I think that we want them to pick up certain things along the way. Things that relate to attitude of heart, a work ethic, knowledge, and skills. Skills for life. Skills that are going to equip them so that they can go out from underneath our home, from underneath our control, so that they can go and live in this world. We want godly kids equipped for life. That's kind of what the goal of parenting is. But I think that there's another goal that we as parents would have that isn't on that list yet. And I think it's a shared value that we would all want to have a relationship with our adult children as well. So while we want to set them up for life that they might do well as they head out into the world, we don't want it to be 100% completely independent of mom and dad. We want an ongoing relationship with our kids to the very end. So we want kids who love the Lord. We want kids who have skills to do life. And we want kids who grow up to appreciate us and stay connected in our lives to some degree. So what makes this so hard? What makes it so hard to end up with that kind of an outcome? Well, first off, kids are not, kids are not widgets on a production line. Rats. Wouldn't that be helpful, hey? You got your little formula, you punch it in, you got the quality control, and you spit them out the back end. They're all the same, and there's no... But it's not like that, right? 
they are uniquely fashioned little people by God that have their own makeup and personality and attitudes, and they don't always align with ours. Aside from the independent nature of the kids themselves, we live in a world that has these influences. They threaten to shape our kids in a direction we don't want them to go. And so you have that kind of inward challenge of the child themselves. You have the outward challenge of what's going on in our world and all those influences we're trying to navigate. And then let's not forget the third category, us parents, our own imperfections and shortcomings as parents play into our raising of our kids. Just like they are uniquely fashioned little people who have their own makeup, so we are uniquely fashioned big people who have our own makeup. And so you have these worlds colliding. These are the factors, I believe, that challenge us and can easily bump off two key values that I think we would have, grace and faith. And I want to talk about that this morning. This last week, my wife and I uh, were watching some Heppel family home videos. And uh, I don't know if you have those, if you've pulled them out lately. It was both fun to watch and horrifying at the same time. Boy, did we ever have rose-colored glasses on what good parenting skills we thought we had. This is a picture of our kids on the first day of school when they were older, like not little kids getting older. But what you don't know before this photo was taken is what's happening behind the scenes. It's great quality video work here. <laughs> Older brother hanging younger brother over the edge. Second boy pulling him in. All the fun the kids have. Get lined up. We got to take a photo. Not yet. Oh yeah, there we go. Let's squeeze our necks together. Mom likes that photo. They turned out okay. This is not all of them. Two of our kids are engaged and getting married, and there's been two grandkids added. So that's our Heppel family. But I want to tell you a story. When we were watching our home videos that we reflected back on, it was a time when we were in Bolivia, and uh, Anne and I um, had Ryan around uh, five years old, and uh, five, three, one, and Elena was a baby. Somewhere in there, six, four, two, and Elena was a baby. So three boys and a girl. And we're watching these videos, and we're like thinking, my goodness sakes, these kids were raised by wolves. I mean, they're just riding their bikes through the, the hallways. No, outdoor. In Bolivia, you have outdoor corridors and stuff like that. So it is outside, I'm granted. But I wouldn't put it past them to do it through the house, too. Nonetheless, this was outside. And they're racing one after another. And they're not just, like, you know, bumping into things. They're bumping into each other. And one of them wipes out. And, you know, Anne's got Elena on, on her lap. And she's like, okay, you'll be fine, John. Get up. And I got the video camera. And I'm like, come on, John. You want to tell Grandpa and Grandma that you just wiped out? You know, like, really sensitive, Dad. Well done, right? And, uh, and so we're watching this for a bit, and that's when we kind of reflect and go, oh my goodness, what was wrong with us? And then we started to think about it, and I said, well, you know, we have to factor in that we probably didn't have any sleep for about, like, five years. And it was Bolivia. We didn't have family support network, right? Like, you're on your own to some degree. It was hot. We were sweaty. We were hungry. We were tired. Cut yourself a little slack. Cut yourself a little slack. But we do that to ourselves. We, we see our shortcomings. We, we see what, what we're doing wrong, and that's what we focus on. And pretty soon, we're hard on ourselves. We're beating ourselves up. And I'm wondering, where is grace to ourselves in raising our kids in those moments? Not to make excuses. Please don't get me wrong. But realize that there's no perfect parent 
realize that you can't be fully attentive to your kids all the times, especially the one that's going, mom, 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 right in the middle of it all. Here's the verse that Richard read at the beginning of the service. It's in the context of the Apostle Paul who had some type of a physical ailment. And he believed that it hindered his ability to minister for God's kingdom. And he had prayed three times asking God to remove this physical ailment from him so that he might better serve the Lord. But the Lord says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. He's putting something together here, and I want you as parents to put this together as well. When you let the grace of God, when you really own it, when you let it into your life, there is a humiliating process for us as parents, a humbling process when we realize we're not perfect. And that's a good thing. Because when you realize that you're not perfect, you're taking your eyes off of what you can do and you're putting it squarely on God and what he can do and the power of Christ rests on you to do that. In other words, God is still at work doing what he wants to do through us even with our weaknesses. The kind of thinking about perfect parenting puts pressure not only on us as parents, but you know what? Our kids can read it too. Our kids feel it. They're the ones who take often the brunt of that perfection that we're trying to aim for. You do not need to be a perfect parent, but we do need to be loving parents. We do need to be parents who guide our kids and have our rules and have our boundaries, but it's in conjunction with relationship. The rules and the relationship got to keep them together. No perfect parenting exists. I sent out a message to our kids who are now growing, they're in their 20s, and also to their spouses or their, the two that are engaged, their fiancés, and I asked them this question, if you're willing to share with me, and I asked them if I could share this in my message for Sunday, reflecting back on your childhood, what did you need from us as parents or from your parents that would help you make it in life and with your faith? And here's some of their answers. First one. I would say having parents who tell you they love you every day and who are always there to support you and take time out of their day to help meet your needs, as well as being there to challenge you to make the right choices. That was one answer. A second, I'd say that having parents who modeled what they preached helped a lot. Apologizing when you guys misstepped, seeing you read your Bibles in the mornings, these were things that modeled integrity and consistency. It meant a lot. Third, I think something that was important and helpful for me growing up with my parents, and you guys as well, was the constant encouragement you gave in helping to guide us in making right decisions and praying with us through those decisions. And then in parenthesis, and also for dropping everything to come and help us out, exclamation mark. Fourth one, something I needed to make it in life was to know that my parents believed in me and had confidence in me. It helped me have confidence in myself. When I was faced with situations that caused me to have anxiety, my parents never really offered an easy way out. At the time, I thought that they were being harsh, but looking back, it was what I needed to grow and to believe in myself. They grew my confidence by telling me that they were proud of me for handling certain situations, but also by giving me certain freedoms which, which helped me uh, grow in my confidence. Another one. 
I think for me, learning how to make mistakes and understand that nobody is perfect was a big thing and that God isn't looking to punish us, but rather wants us to repent and seek forgiveness. I wrestled a lot with these morals. Another thing would be trust, like you trusting me to make the right decisions. I have a few memories of being frustrated because you wouldn't let me do stuff because you thought I was probably going to go and do drugs or something drastic, when I never would have done that, ha ha, but I think it made me angry and almost pushed me in a different direction. There's some honesty. Do you hear some of your own parenting in there that you would go, oh, yeah, actually, I, I think maybe that's what I am doing or what I'm not doing? And then the question I have here is, how might your kids answer this question to you? What it is that they might need from you? I want to share with you something that helped me understand parenting styles because, you know, when you become a parent, it's not like you're a psychologist and you've studied this and you know necessarily what you're doing. You're new to it all, right? And uh, I came across this uh, chart for parenting styles. I have shared it before in, in other times that we're talking about parenting, but it's super helpful in my opinion because it's good to know where am I in there and what is the, the healthy place to be. So it was originally um, three parenting styles that uh, a woman psychologist named Diana Baumrind developed back in the 1960s. And then in the 1980s, they added a fourth. So the three were authoritative parenting, authoritarian parenting, and permissive parenting. And then this fourth category, ne neglectful parenting, was, or neglectful parent, was put in place in the 80s. Now, I, I think the reason why she only had three categories is because three of them really are only parenting. One of them is not parenting. The, the neglectful category is not parenting. You don't want to be there. So let's look at this and try to see maybe where you might be. So you can see on the top side you have high support. And then on the right-hand side, uh, you have high control. And so what the conclusion was is that the authoritative parent was a category that was the category of parenting style that produced kids who could do life, that would often carry on in their faith, and these kinds of positive things. Um, so you have a, a relationship between control and support that gives you authoritative parenting. So high control, high support. Um, high support would be things like just being engaged with your kids, being there. Um, high control would be that there are boundaries and rules if you're going to live in our home, as there always are. But then on the top side where it says high support, you also have permissive parenting, but you got low control. Uh, this would be the parent that's kind of like, ah, it's okay, I don't put too many parameters around my kids, and they definitely know I love them because I'm always there for them. So you, you have a parent that would be a permissive parenting style. A negative one is authoritarian parenting for this reason. It's low on support. It's high on control because they want you to definitely know that there are things in life that are going to make life better. But unfortunately, a lot of the time the outcome is that all the child ever hurts is a standard that they can't meet because the high support isn't matching it. That's why the authoritative is the better category because it has the high support. And then the one category that you never want to be in this one, but it could be, and if it is, you need to realize it and then um, work towards moving away from it is being a neglectful parent where there's low support and there's low control. So you're not there for your kids, nor are there boundaries put in place for them. Do you follow? And the reason why I think that this is really helpful for me is because 
um, in a parenting relationship, sometimes you're on your own as a single parent and you might only have one of these. Sometimes you're a married couple and you're going to realize that you have two of these categories. That's a strength in your marriage. The more that you know where you are on here, the more you can partner together so that together you can raise your kids to know and love the Lord and be able to make it in this world and one day have a relationship with you. I think too often what we do, though, is we focus on the outcome of our kids. And so we're, we're focusing on something that if you think about, you do not get to control the outcome of your children. There are too many factors there that is dependent upon them and God and stuff outside of our control as parents. Here's what we can control. We can control ourselves. I can control who I am in relationship with God to be the best person I can be in relationship with God, which then would allow me to be the best person I can be in my family as a parent. That's what I can control. I want us to remember that in all of our parenting, God's grace is sufficient for you and his power is made perfect in weakness. Not perfection. Not perfection. It's in grace. So, cut a little slack, learn a little laugh, have a little fun, be a parent. Grace is hugely important, but so is faith. As you see there, the second key word that I want you to walk away with today is faith. What I'm asking here is this. Can we trust God with our kids? And again, like grace, it starts with us. Can I trust God with my life? So it starts with me and my relationship with God, and then it carries over into me asking the same question about my kids. Years ago, a friend of mine said, we need to view life through the lens of faith, not fear. Well, you know, that resonated with me because I was a parent at the time of younger age kids and I could recognize that kind of in the back of my, my own heart and mind, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of things that probably in my parenting were being guided by fear. And we might say, well, okay, what's wrong with the fear part? Well, the fear part isn't healthy. Um, the fear part is the thing that paralyzes us from being exactly what God wants us to be. It's not freeing. It's holding us back. It's probably creating more of a critical and negative space because fear does that. It, it causes us to overreact and it causes us to push down too hard and jump on too fast and all that kind of stuff is coming from fear. Whereas faith is believing that God can guide us and can direct us in the times in which we live. You don't live in your parents' generation and you don't live in your kids' generation. You live in your generation and faith says God knows that. God knows that and he's prepared you and equipped you so that you can parent in the times in which you live. And that's hugely encouraging for me and I'm glad I heard that years ago. Faith says, yeah, this world is scary and it's filled with all sorts of, sorts of unknowns and things I can't control, but I can trust God to lead me. Jesus said to his first disciples, take heart, I've overcome the world. And you know, in Christ, that's our strength. Christ in us to do what we can't do. Do we fear? Of course we do. Why? Because there's evil things out there. There's unknown, 100%. There's so much that we don't know. There's so much that we can't control. Faith is trusting God with the unknown and the uncertainty. And I want to share one story with you right after I share a key verse from Hebrews 11.6. Earnestly seeking God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I see that last line as being key as a demonstration of what faith would be. 
if I say I believe in God, and if I say I have faith in God, and if I say I have faith in God in my life, and if I say I have faith in God with my kids' lives, I will earnestly be seeking him. So the story that I want to share with you as a biblical example is that of Abraham and Sarah, but it's early on in their lives when their names are still Abram and Sarai, and it's a really amazing beginning to their life. And I was reading this a couple weeks ago, and I thought, you know what? This is a really great example of a couple who live their lives by faith and not even getting to the main faith story that we often talk about with Abraham and Sarah, which is when they do have their son Isaac and God asks him to be a sacrifice. We're not going into that part of the story. We're backing up all the way to the very beginning of Abram and Sarai. So follow me. Genesis 11 says this, that Abram was the oldest of three sons born to a man named Terah. His two younger brothers, Abraham's younger brothers, were Nahor and Haran. And Abram's youngest brother, Haran, had a son named Lot. I know it's a lot to take in. That wasn't a joke. That was accidental. But it's his nephew of his youngest brother. And then it says that while Terah, Abram's father, was still alive, his youngest son, Haran, died. Terah lost his son. It's an unbelievably difficult thing to go through in life as a parent, as some of you in this room have. But Abram lost his brother, his youngest brother. That also is exceedingly difficult hardship in life to go through. And then it goes on to say this, that after this, Abram's father, Terah, died. So now you have Abram, the oldest brother of only two, because the third one has died. Genesis 12 starts like this. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and he headed for the land of Canaan. So do you see that there? And Lot went with him. Abram obeys God to pack everything up and to leave to this new land. That takes faith right there to say, okay, Lord, I believe you are guiding me. Some of you in this room have had an experience similar to that because you have left your own family, you have left your own country, and you've come to Canada. There's a parallel. Maybe you're tracking very closely with what Abram might be going through on his faith journey. And then to take his nephew with him. You know, as is so typical with an older brother, comes that responsibility. Often older brothers take charge of things that younger ones don't have to this last week, my oldest brother had, had had to have a conversation with our dad on behalf of us siblings about a family business related matter. And it wasn't necessarily one of those conversations you're looking forward to have. And he went and did it unbeknownst to us. And he wrote us an email telling us how it went. And then at the very end, he said, you're welcome. <laughs> I thanked him. It's all good. Parents love us. We love them. But older brothers can carry a weight. The younger ones don't sometimes. And Abram, in this case, inherits his nephew Lot. What did that look like for him? Did he feel ready to parent this, this however old child he was? He took him in. Abram obeys God 
and Abram has faith in God, it says here, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. You know what that strikes me? It strikes me that he's earnestly seeking God. That's what that looks like. Faith, earnestly seeking God. Well, this is good news, but then the next part is bad news because the very land that God led him to, there was a famine. So he goes down into Egypt for a time. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. You don't even have that up there. Well, what happened to the plan, God? The plan, take me down into Egypt. That's not the plan. I'm in Canaan, let me leave there. He's in Egypt for a while. God protects him. So Abram left Egypt and traveled back north, up into the Negev, into Israel, or what would become Israel, along with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. You see, he, he didn't abandon Lot. He didn't say, hey, hey, Lot, this is too much. I can't take you. He took him with him. But now they're back in the land and they're both acquiring wealth and they both have lots of herds and they have herdsmen. Verse eight, verse six, but the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and their herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. And what do you do when wealth is about to come between you and a family member? Finally, Abram said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land that you want, and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take to the right. If you, want, if you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the left. Lot took a look at the fertile valley of the Jordan Plain probably well-watered, lush green pastures. And he said, that's the one I want. So Abram went the other direction, which wasn't quite as well-watered, which wasn't quite as beautiful. But why did he do that? Because he was trusting God, not land. He would rather do the right thing and save the relationship and the family and give up the prime land, knowing that God would meet him and provide for his needs. I think there's something in there for each of us. It seemed to please God that Abram chose this. Oh my goodness, I apologize. I was one slide behind. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, look, as far as you can see, oh look, as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west, I'm giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I'm giving it to you. And, and what, I, what I see here, again, is that God is pleased with a person who seeks him earnestly. And God comes to Abraham again, or Abram still at this point. And he says, Abram, I'm still going to be true to my word. I'm still going to be true to my promise. And again, Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. There he built another altar to the Lord. What's he doing? He's earnestly seeking God with what God is doing in his life. Now the story could end there because Abram's raised his nephew and cared for his nephew and gotten through times of famine and given him the choice land and he's just down the road, so to speak. And Abram's gone to settle over there. The story could end there, but it doesn't. Lot is living near Sodom, as in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's living amongst a wicked people who sinning greatly against God, is what the passage says. 
And then war breaks out between the kings in that area. When the war broke out, four kings attacked five kings, and they won, and they took those kings. And, it says, they also captured Lot, Abram's nephew, who lived in Sodom, and carried off everything that he owned. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he threw his hands in the air and said, What more can a man do? Am I my brother's keeper? That was a joke. He did not throw his hands in the air. <laughs> Maybe you didn't laugh because it sounds too realistic. That Sure, that's legit. But he doesn't do that. You know what he says? When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out 318 trained men born in his household, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan, that's way in the north, during the night. Abram divided his men, and they attacked them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as this particular place that we don't know of, Haba, uh, north of Damascus, we know that place. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. Again, he doesn't leave his relative. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Pardon me. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up to the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That is quite a story. And I know that it's a story that happened an awful long time ago, but I don't want you to miss this because I think there's a parallel to our day and age too. It was hard for Abram and Sarai to be childless. It was hard for Abram to take his family and move to another land. It was hard for him to lose his brother. It was hard for him to adopt his nephew into his family and raise him and care for him and protect him. It was hard for Abram to trust God in every single one of these stages, coming to this land that he promised, finding out there's a famine, having to go to Egypt, coming back to the land again, having the fights and quarrels between him and Lot's herdsmen, and then realizing he has to move to a place less prominent. He understands that he can trust God with his promise for him. And my question is, what is it in our lives and in our families that we find hard? Guaranteed there's something. And the question is, can you trust God with that situation? Can you trust God's plan that he has for you by saying yes to him, I will earnestly seek you. I will not let fear paralyze me from doing what you would want me to do in this situation. So these are the two words that I want us to walk away with today coming out of scripture. The one word grace and the other word faith. Grace. Grace that allows you to know that God will do his work even when we're weak as parents and faith to believe that God will accomplish his plans as we seek to follow him sincerely. His grace is sufficient for us. Do you believe it? We need to have faith and to seek him earnestly. And if we do, God will reward us. He will guide us. I'm going to call the worship team up at this time. We're going to close our service today with a song that we're treating as a benediction. Um, benediction was often a word of blessing that was given to the congregation as they would leave. This is actually a song of blessing.
Some of the words in this song that I want you to capture is that his presence goes before you and he's beside you and he's behind you. He's all around you. He's within you. And then it says that he's with you in the morning and in the evening and in the coming and in the going and in your weeping and in your rejoicing. And then it says he is for you. And I guess my heart is for parents today who feel a heaviness of heart because maybe things aren't going as well or you just feel this pressure, you feel the failure more than you do the success. Listen, let the grace of God minister to you today. Let this song be a song that's sung over you. Let's do it together. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship sermon podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.